Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Jake Kerr. I'd like to welcome you to the Black Ink Podcast. This is episode number 77, and today I'm coming in with heaps to talk about. So let's start from the top, work our way down. First thing is, I had this little thought last night about what it actually means what what it means to work or what it is to have a job or what it what it means to like what work means to you because i think one thing when i ask myself what is work and what was my first interpretation of what the word meant and how i kind of use that interpretation moving forward into my adult life and now that i'm an adult and i have a job and i have like almost a you know a career or a calling whatever you want to call it i can now kind of reassess what this meaning of the word work is and it's interesting when I started thinking about it the my most original like place where I went to was obviously understanding that my mum and dad were at work a lot and nothing against my parents of course because that's the thing I mean we all have to be at work a lot to fund these lives that we all want to live whether it be you know having um what's it shelter or having food having water having security and and knowing that you're going to be okay into the future so you need to have a job and that that's I think that's a really big thing is to understand that having a job and having work is different because work can apply to everything obviously you know like I do work around the house which means that I'm doing something that only really feeds me that only makes me feel better only makes my house look a little bit better it doesn't bring me any income it doesn't bring me any food it doesn't bring me anything other than the satisfaction of knowing that my house is aesthetically more pleasing than what it was when I began and then also, of course, you have when you're assigned a certain task or a particular set of jobs while you're at your occupation, you also classify that as work. And I think that one thing that we do, especially when you have the interpretation of like when I first learned about what work was or what having a duty was or having a job was, it was when my parents, who both worked very hard and worked together in the same place, which I think is actually a, a little key to all of this as well. But what I noticed was that there was a negative connotation attached to the word work. And something that I took away from that was that, you know, I want to do the least amount of work possible, right? I want to avoid work at all costs. I don't want to get a job or whatever it might be. But then at the same time, you have these conflicting, I had these uh, conflicting subconscious thoughts that were saying like, well, I actually really like work or I really like this particular work. I like this job. I like having this responsibility or this occupation, however you want to fill it. Then I I started to have this kind of duality of thoughts thinking, okay, on one side of the fence, obviously having a job and having work, you know, I can't be bothered going to work on Monday or I don't want to go to work tomorrow or work was so tough today. These are all things that you hear at home. And then on the other side of the fence, you just like, well, maybe this is something that I experienced personally. I was yearning for a responsibility and for a job and to be given work. And one thing's for sure, like when I was a kid, I definitely wanted everything that you want as an adult quicker. I wanted a car license. I wanted a card that I could use to pay for things. I wanted to have conversations with people that were about things. I wanted to be given a task and be trusted to do the task, go away, do the task, like really and this is this is a thing like going away and doing the task and coming back I feel like sometimes you're doing that for someone else you're trying to impress the person say look what I pulled off look what I achieved but I've always had this thing inside me that when I go and do a job I actually don't give a fuck about whether you think it's good or not okay and this might be something that I'm kind of a later learning that I'm applying to an earlier um, stage of my life but I've always felt the organic fuel for me to do a job properly is for me to know that it's done properly. Like if we use the, I use the example of yard work because I literally just had the shed open and everything and I was, you know, moving bits and pieces around and you put some stuff in the bin and you 
do some weeding over here. And while you've got this tool out, you tighten that up sort of thing. And I think the thing about yard work is like, I'm not trying to impress my neighbors. I'm not trying to get my landlord to think that I'm looking after his house. I'm not trying to even have Larissa be impressed when she comes home and sees that there's, you know, less weeds in the yard or, you know, fill in the blank. I'm doing it so that I know I did the job right. I'm doing it so that next time I look at the job, I'm like, okay, well, that's done and dusted. I can just focus on the next thing. I can focus on my next piece of work, right? And something that I always did as a kid where, and like this whole doing things completely properly, like to the absolute best of my ability, that is a new practice. That's a reasonably new practice. When you consider my lifespan of 29 years, I've probably been practicing that properly for about, properly like to my uh, this is the thing like it's hard to gauge it because your standard of of excellence and achievement is always rising and rising and rising so i feel like i've only been doing it properly for like three months i've been doing it properly for about seven years right and i remember how that actually started like let me go off on a tangent here i remember dad used to give me this job right and this is this is a metaphor that i've always used in the in, in my mind when i'm approaching things and how i need to have an open mind as far as how big a job can be, okay? Because dad used to tell me like, your job is picking up the sticks in the yard. And I was like, fuck, you know, like the thing about living in an acre full of, uh, you know, trees is that there's always sticks in the yard. There's always gonna be sticks. And the problem was as a child, I didn't see the purpose in picking up the sticks. I didn't understand why we couldn't just let the sticks build up. And you know, like every now and then you go along with a rake, you rake them all up into a pile, you burn them, you throw them out, you do whatever you do. And the one thing that I struggled with in my mind was I can't do this job because it doesn't matter how much I do it, there's always going to be sticks in the yard. There's always going to be sticks falling down from the trees. And that's the whole fucking, you know, it's a whole battle. So in my mind, I was like, you're asking, asking me to do a job that is never complete, but also you're asking me to do it perfectly. So if I pick up all the sticks in the yard, you're still going to be able to walk around and say, hey, there's a stick there, there's a stick there, there's a stick there. So the problem that the, uh, like the argument that I mentally had with my dad that I, this never happened because, you know, it's scared of my dad is a scary man. But the argument I had as a child when he gave me this job was, how do you expect me to do this properly? And if I'm not able to do it properly, then why the fuck would I do it at all? It's not that I'm scared of doing the job itself. It's not that there's anything that I don't, fully fucking understand and picking up sticks from the ground, collecting them, putting them in a pile and disposing of it properly. But to be very fucking honest, what are we doing? We would be better off both of us walking around the yard every two weeks with rakes and collecting up the piles and disposing of them that way rather than me putting in 15 minutes effort every single fucking day, right? So with that, Something that I didn't understand as a kid, but I've always held on to that because this is the thing. The things that you not necessarily don't understand as a kid, but the things that you disagree as a kid, you tend to grow up and have a different interpretation of what the whole situation was. And I now understand that I would like to think it was some cathartic pivotal moment of my childhood where my dad was trying to convey some sort of greater life lesson. And in a way, maybe subconsciously he was. But I think what was really happening was my dad understood obviously as a fully grown man with a child who's done many things with many situations and has many lessons built into him that he probably doesn't even remember, but he still, you know, practices them every day, is that it's not necessarily the fact that the yard is ever going to be perfect. It's that the yard is going to remain in a constant state of imperfection and it is your job to chase the dragon of perfection, right? So even in the jobs that you can't do perfectly every single time, 
you're still better off participating. And for every little, however minute you need to break down that time frame, whether you go right in the next five minutes, I'm going to do fucking brilliantly. Okay. So this whole acre that I have to pick up sticks, sure, I can't pick up every fucking stick in this yard, but the the spot that I can see with my eyes right now, I can make this perfect, right? And then tomorrow I can make that area perfect. And the day after I can make that area perfect and I can break the yard down into seven days. And by the seventh day, I'm going to come back here and it's going to be back full of sticks. But the point is today, I can get this looking great to the best of my ability. So I focus on what I can achieve on rather than what I can't achieve, right? Anyway, that's just a little fucking side note that I've had kind of on replay in the back of my mind. And also probably one of the examples of my childhood that I'm going to reflect back on time and time again and pull out different meanings and different lessons out of it. And that's okay because everyone who watches this podcast regularly knows that we're all about progression. We're not about being the same person we were 10 years ago because that means you're a fucking idiot. You haven't tried to change. You haven't tried to get better. It means you've just held on to those same character traits and thoughts and ideas and beliefs and morals. And you're probably just a fucking dated aged version of you when you could be this beautiful magical dragon flying off into the future with all these brilliant new traits that you never thought were possible but we're getting off the track so stick with me so when I first had that interpretation of what work was because my parents did this thing that seemed to not only pull them away from the family but would also like cost them physically and mentally and spiritually they would be giving themselves more to the to their job than they would be the family unit and again mom dad watching this don't stress it's not a big deal I'm just breaking down what happened okay so now as a child or as like a teenager, say, I remember when I was 12, 13, 14, absolutely itching for a job. I didn't care about the laws. I didn't care about, you know, you have to do this before you can do that. I just wanted something that was mine, that took me away from the house. It took me away from skating. It took me away from friends. And it was something that not only I could do really well at, but the benefit was you got paid for it. Okay. And the thing that I find when I consider what work is, is it's the constant battle between like, we're gonna have to do something with 80% of our lives. This is each one of us. I'm talking to you right now. We all have to do something, some activity, something that gives us some sort of return for about 80% of our working life because it quite simply costs money to be alive, right? When I consider all of the things now that I have in my head that are possible to generate that income, my whole perception of what work is, is now changing. And this is something that I've been forced to, to look at dead in the face because now I'm having these amazing moments daily. Like this is happening to me daily. It's happened today where I stop and I look around and something will remind me of what work used to feel like and what work feels like now. And it makes me cry because I can't believe that the thing that I do now that is classified as work, the thing that brings me income is also the thing that brings me happiness. And the thing that I didn't realize about before was that the feeling of settling and the feeling of being okay and lying to myself that I enjoy what I do was at the cost of my happiness and therefore was at the cost of my whole life. So now I look at like, okay, I made it okay that this thing that I did, which I traded all my time in exchange for realistically, when you look at how much potential we all have as humans with heartbeats, nothing. I traded all that time and energy for nothing because I came out the back end of it and I had just done what everyone had told me to do. I'd done the same thing that everyone else does. I've got the same reasonable amount of information that everyone else is working on. I spent my money, right? So the thing is we live in a society that not only tells you, you have to have these bullshit jobs, but it also live in a society where we 
we're told over and over that we need all these things that we don't need. And I'm not saying anything new. I know you know this. Everyone knows the quote, you know, everyone's working these jobs that they hate to buy things that they don't need to impress people that they don't like. Okay. So it's quite simple to see that this whole scenario where we have to go and lock ourselves into this like, you know, working contract with a company that's going to say, right, you're going to stay here. We're going to get 38 hours out of you. We're going to pay you bullshit for it. And you're going to sign on the line, right? You're fucking committing to this. This is what you're doing. And then we call that work, right? The idea that the negativity that surrounds the necessity of having the job and applying to the word work completely fucks the whole system. Because now when I say I'm going to work, like when I talk to my friends who don't own businesses, who've been watching me, you know, do all these things with my business over the past 12 months, or even what I did with Black Ink when it was in its original state eight years ago. When I say to them, I'm going to work, the comparison that they have in their mind is like, for them, going to work is jumping on a plane and flying out, not seeing their family for a week or two or three at a time. Work isn't going and hanging out in your studio with your dog, fucking smoking cigarettes and printing t-shirts and hanging out with your mates, drinking coffee. But somehow it is the same thing. They are both jobs. They are both incomes. They are both work. And man, it's just... I'm not, it's not like I've got some greater point here. It's just like, it really fucking, it challenges me as a person when I consider that problem that I had as a kid where I was like, there's something so bad about work, but there's something so good about work. And the crazy part about it is I've got two parents who are just born to be fucking busy bee, work hard animals. Like they really are. My dad is just a machine. Physically, he is just a work from when the sun comes up to when the sun goes down. Don't complain about your blisters. Don't even look at them. You know what I mean? Like he is just a hard cunt when it comes to getting hard physical labor done. And he's really good at motivating others to do the same people. And then my mum, who is like a systems and communication expert, all she does is like, she'll see a piece of software, absorb it over a week, and then just be able to apply it to the best of its you know ability to whatever the situation is, whether it be accounting and bookkeeping within a business or occupational health and safety within, you know, again, a business, whatever it might be. She's so good at like getting these, she's so good at thinking, uh, I guess, laterally about systems that are intangible as far as whether they be management systems or money systems or whatever it might be, and then apply them in a real way. So they're like, give you results in a business. So I'm kind of this crazy combination of people who work like fucking animals, whether it's indoors or outdoors. I've also got this weird kind of built in motivation thing where like, because I was an, a professional athlete for like basically my forming years as a teenager and young adult. So I've got this crazy work ethic and ability to just go, right, train, 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 compete, train, 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 compete, do that on repeat and keep getting better until you're the best in the world. So when I think about what work is and how my parents had the attitude of like, oh, you know, work is this, work is that. But at the same time, we love work. It gives us purpose and it's what we use as identification as people. It's like, well, fuck, man. So then I come into the world, I come into the, what do you call it? The workforce, essentially. So I come into the workforce and whether or not you watch my first episode and know my whole work history, I'm going to break it down for you really quickly. So at 13, I became a stable hand for roughly two years, three shifts a weekend. I'd work for four hours at a time. I'd muck out 50 horses stables. I'd make all of their feeds and then I would feed them. I would rug them as necessary. I'd do any little bits and pieces around the stables as I had to, but essentially this was the largest racing stables in all of, I may have been Bunbury or the Southwest and I was their stable hand for the weekend. So at 13, this little fat kid walking around with a fucking rake on his shoulder and bucket in his other hand, like, you know, bloodstones on, man, 
That was my first job. And for once, for the first time, not for once, for the first time, I was like, this is it. This is it. When I come here and I do this, my job is to make sure that the horse's stables are clean. Okay? So by the time I'm done, there just needs to be no shit in the stables. And if I can do that, that's a job well done. If all the horses get fed, job well done. All the buckets that need feeds in them, they're all full, job well done. The horses aren't cold, got rugs on them, hey, job well done. You understand? And then I went to Hungry Jack's. Now, here's where I learned something because when I went to Hungry Jack's, it's like, okay, here's this bunch of systems and essentially you're not even a name, okay? You're not you, you're not a name, you're a pay number. Okay, if you decide to up and quit, hey man, very cool, there's another guy who's waiting for a job. Okay, and even if there isn't another guy waiting for a job, go, we don't care. Okay, so it went from a sense of like, it doesn't matter, sorry, it went from feeling like, hey man, you know, you do a good job, you know the people that you work for, you communicate with them, they help you learn to get better, they tell you when you're not doing as good, they pay you more if you do better for whatever, you know, maybe you'll stay around for an extra couple hours one day, they'll pay you for that, you know? So then you've got Hungry Jacks, the comparison, where if you make the best looking burger repetitively, bang, 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 every day you keep making beautiful burgers, or you keep putting those pieces of meat on the broiler perfectly, Every single time, you get paid the exact same amount. Hungry Japs is just like, bro, we're fucking you raw and you're going to enjoy it. You're going to look back straight in the eye and you're going to say, thank you for employing me, right? So it doesn't matter what you do. The only thing that you can really do in this situation is look at all the systems within this business and use them to the best of your ability. Whole other conversation, but that is one advantage of being in a situation like that. But for the first time I understood, I don't want to go to work. Okay, because we all don't want to go to work for the time restraints. We all have things we would rather be doing than being allocated a job at a particular workspace for a set, you know, from seven until two, you're going to do this. Nobody likes a time thing. It's the job thing. It's the work part of it, right? I didn't like not, not having my Saturday afternoons, Sunday mornings and Sunday afternoons when I was a stable hand. But I did like the work that I was doing. But then I went to HJ's and we still have that same time restraint that I didn't like. But now my skin was turning to shit because I was working in an oily environment. I was getting treated like shit because I was among a pool of shithead teenagers. So me as a teenager, by default, am going to be classified as a shithead because I'm hanging out with shitheads, you know? And I'm not saying that you're a shithead if you work at Hungry Jack's. I'm saying that if you're a teenager and you're working at Hungry Jack's or in the fast food industry, chances are, by nature, super organically, you're a shithead, okay? So I was a shithead who worked at Hungry Jack's, who was just another teenager running around. And on top of that... There was no satisfaction from it. It's like, man, whether we make two burgers or 2,000 burgers on this shift, the same shit is going to happen when I walk out the door. There's no real... So now the work classification, you can start to wrap your head around like, well, I used to enjoy what I'm doing and now I don't enjoy what I'm doing. And now all of a sudden, the concept of work, of going to work is different. And the funny thing is a lot of people don't realize that this idea of like them complaining about the people that they don't like at work, you know, the the bureaucratic the politics, the fucking, the bickering, the backwards and forwards, I don't like doing this particular job, blah, blah, blah. That's all detrimental to your life. And that's because this thing of work that we have to do, that has to be done, that's your responsibility as a human to figure this task out, is not serving you. It's not giving back anything more than money. And in fact, the money isn't even worth it because it's sucking from you spiritually and mentally, you know? 
And as I say, it's not like I'm working up to a big point here. My, my point is, is to think about like, hey man, this is our fucking life. Like this is it, it's happening. Right now as you listen to this and watch me use my hands too much in this podcast, shit's happening. You're probably at work right now listening to this or on your way to work or on your way home from work. The shit that you're doing right now, do you like doing it? Like it's your job to ask yourself that question and also be happy with the answer. And if you're not happy with the answer, guess what? It's your job to do something about it. It's fucking crazy. Now, it's enough about work. I actually, uh, man, I've been hanging out to record this podcast because last week I only recorded one podcast because... For some reason this year, I felt this abundant feeling that I'm actually on a successful path. I'm super excited. Everything is happening. I'm acquiring all these new pieces of equipment. And on top of it, I feel like a fuckhead because I'm doing it. Okay. Personally, I don't feel like a fuckhead. I feel like a king. I feel like the light literally does shine out of my asshole so bright. But the problem is you can't tell people about it, especially when you're fucking six foot four and you're a male and you're white because then you're just another fucking successful white guy or person on their way to success, whatever you want to say, talking about, you know, it's, it's not sexy. It's not fun. It looks egotistical. It looks like you're, you're like, oh, look at me. I'm doing all these things. And I mean, I, I did kind of touch on this the last podcast, but every time I went to record, you know, the second or third podcast for the week last week, I just found myself in this ball of like having to defend these fucking bullshit things that are happening to me because I made them happen. You know, it's like, it's like a, it's like a, the most physical version of imposter syndrome that I can explain. Like I literally had to like, oh, you know, I'm getting this, rah, 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 and I mean, I'm only getting this because I did this and you know, it worked because it worked with this player, rah, rah, rah. Hey man, hey, hey dude, you're allowed to be good, okay? You're allowed to be brilliant. Like I say all the time on the podcast, here is your permission to be amazing. This is it, this is it. So let's talk about what's been going on lately with Black Ink. Now, you probably know all about the 2020. I talked about it heaps, which means I'm releasing 20 T's in this year. Each of those T's is gonna be released 20 times. Each one of those T's that I print in each of the 20 T's that I release is going to have a numbered identification tag, which means you're going to be able to lift up your T-shirt and on the inside, it's going to say what print number it is. So you'll be able to say, hey, see my field T? This is the number three field T. And that means that there's only another 17 out of them, 17 of these out there. So just saying, if you haven't heard about it, get onto my website, go order yourself a field T, go have some fun. Uh, if you did want to get them in like a physical space, of course, you could visit Sabotage, which is on Victoria Street in Bunbury. Speak to Megan, who is the lovely owner down there, and she'll tell you all about the field tea and the other black ink teas that she has in store. Now, last week, I also had the absolutely amazing experience of ordering myself a new heat press. I have decided to get myself a Hotronics uh, SCX Auto 40x40 uh, heat press, which is an amazing piece of equipment. So basically, at the moment, Thanks to a good friend of mine, Biko, who uh, actually had a bit of a collective here with a few other boys in Bunbury, and they were doing their own t-shirt brand, which is F-O-G-F. You may have seen them online uh, on Instagram or in Sabotage. Uh, he actually quite grace, graciously offered for me to borrow his heat press about, I would say four months ago now. And he's like, yeah, man, just use it, get yourself running. You know, I don't want any money. I don't want anything in return, just fucking you know, go use it. See if you need a heat press. Because this is the thing. I remember saying, I think I went to him. I was about to buy one. I said, look, man, like if I buy one, how do you go about it? What are you looking for? Blah, blah, blah. And he's just like, bro, don't buy one. Figure out if you want to do that. I'm not using mine at the moment. I'm going to be using mine in a few months. Take it. Take all the equipment. Look after it. Do the thing. Give it back to me when you're ready. Bob's your uncle. And I mean, this whole heat press thing only came about. I'm not sure if I've shared this on the podcast. I'll tell you the story just in case. 
But the whole story only came about because he actually called me up one day and he's like, Jake, what are you doing with that heat press? I need you to either give it back to me or buy it. I was like, all right, I'll buy it. Okay, how much do you want? And he goes, like, I want this much for it. I said, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Then I started to think, well, what would, I mean, what would the guy who, I, I basically saw myself as the most successful version of myself that I can possibly imagine in five years time. And I asked that guy, what do I do? And he said, well, do you have an ultimate plan for Black Ink? Do you see it being successful in the future? I said, yeah, yeah, I do actually. And then this future version of me just, I, I don't even know how to explain him. Like, I don't even really know what he looks like. I think he still may have long hair, but it's, it has been cut short and may have streaks of gray through it. Anyway, it's not important what he looks like. But then he said back to me, he goes, well, why would you buy a secondhand bit of gear when you can just get some upfront capital now, get yourself the best possible bit of gear that will service your needs as best as possible over the next 12, to 30, uh, 12 24, 36 months, and then have it earn its own its own value back, and of course, ten and some tenfold. So I was like, okay, that makes sense. I started doing some exploration into the particular machine that I might want to purchase, and uh, you know, just starting to figure out whether I can financially make it happen. What is the ideal machine that I would get if I had the money? All these questions. You know, you start. The, the problem is right. Do I need to buy a new machine or do I not? And if I were to buy a new machine, what machine would it be? And then you have to look at all the bloody brands, all the models, all the warranties, all the all of these comparisons, and just really ask like, right, what am I actually trying to achieve with this machine? So basically, the, the, the conversation came down to essentially the machine that I've told you about, the Auto STX 40x40. So basically, that just means I now have a heat press, which is essentially a big sandwich press, you know, sandwich grill, that cooks on transfers onto teas for me. And you can get ones that you manually pull down and manually pull up. But the one that I've elected to get is actually one that you manually pull down. And it's actually got like an assist to help you pull it down with magnets. And then after the transfer is done, which is all set in via the settings, it automatically releases it. And then it also, oh, so that's like the main selling point is that it automatically releases it, allowing you to come and get that tea whenever you want. You don't have to be next in the machine to do the release. You can kind of set it, go do something else, come back and it's done, pull that off, put a new shirt on and off you go. It also has a setting in there which allows me to manually see what the pressure setting is as it gets pulled down. Now, this is the actual, this is the first model in all of the models that Hotronics make that has that feature. Now, that feature there is actually an interesting one. It kind of made me think because it doesn't help me right now. That's actually a feeling setting that I go by off, like I go by in my head, like, oh, I can feel this is about that pressure. So I leave it there. And if I think it needs any changes, I'll change the pressure and I do it all by feeling. But what this new machine allows me to do is go, well, that amount of pressure is a six. That amount of pressure is a four. That amount of pressure is a 10. So then when I get the transfers from the print company and they say, right, put this on your shirt for 10 seconds at 155 degrees at a pressure setting of four, then you can set all that and make sure that you're getting exactly the right amount of heat transfer that you need for that transfer to be applied to that t-shirt. Now, the only problem with all of this is you go, well, Jake, if you really do it by feel, why would you need this pressure setting? And to be honest with you, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I don't. But when it comes to the day that I need to teach someone how to do this because I'm going to outsource that particular effort to another person, to a staff member, to free up my time so I have more time to figure out how to make more money and how to build more systems and do all these things for my business, it's heaps easier to teach that person, hey, 
155 degrees, 10 seconds on a pressure setting of four, right? You set it here on the screen, da da da. If you ever need to change it, here's how you change it. Bob's your uncle, catch you later. If you have any troubles, figure it out, right? It's heaps easier to educate that one particular thing, right? Like I can teach that in five minutes rather than 45 minutes of pressing a bunch of things and going like, yeah, do you feel that? Do you feel that? And then, you know, the person who's working for you just going like, yeah, I guess I feel it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> stupid. So I have the new uh, auto heat press on its way from Queensland at the moment. I actually called up the freight mob today because I had to whole thing, you know, they want to deliver it. And obviously because it comes on a pallet and it's 51 kilos, they can't lift it. It has to be a forklift. And then if they come to your house and you don't have a forklift or all the bullshit, then they charge you for using their tail lift and all the rest. I was like, well, hey, I've worked in transport. You're not going to fuck me. Okay. So I called them up and said, look, when this thing arrives, let me know. I'll come down with my ute. You can put it in the back. We'll be good to go. So that's coming from Adelaide to Perth. I think that arrives in Perth today. So I'm hoping that I get that. Today's Monday. I'm hoping to get that around Wednesday. And I've actually got a massive order which was put in last week that's gonna let that get straight to work. So I'm super excited for this new machine, obviously to set it all up, get it running, see what it looks like. And then also to be able to just put it straight into work. Bang, 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 you know, amazing. Now, on top of all of this, so we got the, the heat press which was ordered on Monday, paid for it Tuesday. I think my, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if I told you guys about my, uh, my tunnel dryer, which essentially is just like, okay, imagine you're at a hotel, you go down to the breakfast, you go put your toast in the toaster, which is one of those little conveyors and it's got a toaster on top, toaster on the bottom. By the time it spits out the other end, your toast is cooked perfectly on the top and the bottom. Now, my heat dryer, my tunnel dryer is essentially the same thing, but it has no heat on the bottom. So imagine a big conveyor belt about yay wide, that conveyor belt is about two meters long. And on top of that conveyor belt is a big kind of tunnel thing that sits over the top of it that has a fan and heat. So basically what I do is when I finish screen printing the tea, I take it off the screen printer, I put it directly onto the tunnel dryer and that slowly puts it through, exposing it to that heat from the fan, drying that print on top of the tea. So basically what it means is now I don't have to stand at my screen printer dry or Riz doesn't have to stand at the screen printer drying each of the fucking screens with a heat gun waiting for an RSI to happen in her wrist and then put it on the heat press and then seal it for four minutes. We've cut out those two steps completely. We now don't involve the heat press at all. We just leave that for transfer, uh, heat transfers. Now we just put the shirt straight onto the tunnel dryer. That seals it. It's the proper way for sealing ink onto tees, which means that we've just added a, a, a basically an arm onto the business of like production and now allows us to freeze up other equipment from being overused in areas that it's not like, there's nothing that's gonna ruin the heat press from doing that. But at the same time, every four minute press that we don't do on that and let the heat tunnel handle that drying for us, that's four minutes saved off that heat press. And I mean, if we're doing, say, if I do a batch of 50 T's, 50 times four minutes is how long that heat press had to operate consistently just to do a batch of 50 T's. Now, without even going to it, like just the power consumption alone of the of the tunnel dryer is gonna be better than that. So it's one of those things where a tunnel dryer doesn't, because of the nature of what it actually does, the way it dries shirts, and the fact that we can already do that drying with the equipment that we've got, it doesn't necessarily add any income or like, you know, foreseeable revenue into the business, but it does streamline the efficiency of the process. So it allows me to get more done in the ways that it's meant to be done, whether it's ergonomically or efficiently, and it frees up my other equipment so that say I've got, even if I've got two jobs on at one time, or even if it is like, you know, just the fact that the screen printing gear is for screen printing, the heat transfer gear is for heat pressing. So 
a little bit about the heat press, uh, the heat press and the tunnel dryer. I've also just added on one more piece of equipment and this may be the most exciting piece of equipment of them all because realistically, it doesn't even fit into the fucking whole garment creation thing, right? So I went out and bought myself a Roland SP300V, which is a 700 mil screen, no, 700 mil vinyl cutter and printer. So basically the reason that I was looking for a vinyl cutter is because when I transfer my screens, when I develop screens, which is those wooden frames with the silk screen on the front, they then have light sensitive emulsion applied to the front of the screen. You then put a negative of your design on there, expose that to light. Remember I said light sensitive, expose it to light that burns a hole in that emulsion. And then you use that screen to do your screen prints through. So then when you pull the ink through the screen, it goes through all of that hole that was made in the emulsion. And that's a essentially your design. So the one thing that I can't do here in my studio now, because I used to outsource that whole process to the people that I bought my screen printer off. I now do all the emulsion applying. I can clean, I can clean screens myself. So you get them back to brand new. I can then apply the emulsion in my dark room. I can then expose that design on that screen using that low boy light that I asked every everybody on Instagram if they had one and everyone thought I wanted it to grow fucking indoor, you know, like a mole room or something, growing weed or something. So I get my low boy, I can expose it, I can then wash it out using my wash trough, which I'm going to get into in a second as well. And then furthermore, I can then use that screen to then go and print t-shirts on my screen printer. So I have the whole process sorted except for the negative that you put on top of the emulsion before you expose it to light, which burns your design into it. Now, the way that you make these negatives is really simple. It's your design in black vinyl stuck to a clear piece of, clear piece of plastic so that when that the light is exposed to it, the only light that is blocked is your design. Now, I understand that following this in your head, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, is extremely difficult, but just stay with me, okay? So basically, you can get things that cut out designs in vinyl from Officeworks for about 600 bucks. You can just punch in your design on your computer, it sends the information, you feed a sheet of vinyl into this cutter and a little knife cuts out your design. You then go along with another knife and you pick up everything that isn't your design, that's called weeding and it you know grabs out all the other pieces of vinyl that aren't yours. You then have essentially a vinyl cut out of your design with a backing on it as if it's a sticker. So then you apply that to a clear piece of plastic, you take that backing off and then you're left with your design on a clear piece of plastic that you can put face down onto a screen with emulsion on it, expose it to light and that's how you're gonna get your design onto a screen, right? So now I was like, okay, so I just need a vinyl cutter. I was like, okay, I can figure this out. You can get these little kind of home use ones at Officework, 600 bucks, not too crazy, not to own the whole process. This is the thing. If I can do those vinyl cuts, that means I can own the whole process from start to finish of screen printing. Don't rely on anyone else. I can turn an idea into a t-shirt in 24 hours, okay? So I was looking at these options. Then all of a sudden I was like, you know what? If I was going to do this, if I was still talking to homeboy in five years time and said, how do we do this? He goes, bro, fuck a, fuck a vinyl cutter, get something that can do everything, right? Vinyl cutter and printer means that not only can you cut out vinyl and stick it to a clear piece of plastic and do your screens, it means that you can print stickers. It means that you can do sign writing. It means that you can print out stickers that are this big and go onto lighters, or you can print out stickers that are 700 mil wide and go across people's fucking windscreens. You can sign right the side of your car. You can make for sale signs for people. Anything that is on a sticker that is on vinyl, you can now do. So I was like, hmm, really? 
And I explored that and I followed it down. I could tell you all the trials and tribulations of how I came to the final uh, decision of buying the particular printer that I did. But I'm going to save you the days and days of rambling and phone calls and bullshit backwards and forwards and just tell you that I secured this beautiful, probably about 13, 14 year old vinyl cutter and printer that has definitely been to the moon and back, but is going to also definitely facilitate every single need that I have for it in the upcoming future. So I now have these massive pieces of new equipment that are filling up my what seemed to be massive studio space recently is now getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And in fact, last week, I actually had to have one day where I did nothing but get shit out of this room. So I thought I was rearranging stuff, you know, put this here, put that there, put that there. But you realize that if you've got a bunch of big things in a room, it really doesn't matter where the fuck you put them. The room is going to be full regardless. So you have to get some stuff out of there. And so then you start going, okay, what's the biggest thing I can get out of here? What are the smallest things I can get? How do I make this more efficient? Do I need this? Do I use this? When was the last time I looked at this or the last time I touched this? Can I validate it as something worth keeping? And also the amount of times that I ask the question, does this have anything to do with my business? So now I'm like really isolating this area is just my business. So I'm not confused with these personal things or personal issues, whatever it might be. When I say personal issues, like I don't want to see like besides right here, I don't want to see Simpsons figurines in here. Simpsons figurines have nothing to do with black ink. You know what I mean? I don't want to be finding what was something I found the other day. Uh, oh, this morning I found pencils, you know, what I mean? like colored pencils, you know, like dude. And this is the thing like you go, oh, what if you want to design something with colored pencils? Hey, suck my dick. Just get rid of the colored pencils. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to look at anything and it take me away from black ink. So I spent this whole day moving things around, getting things out, moving things around. The beautiful part is I'm surrounded by fucking electrical outlets as well in here. So I basically have full freedom to put shit wherever I want and not have to run cords across the roof or along the floor or whatever it might be. But the point was I got like three full tables out of here. I cleaned out a full fucking... Um, like just, you know, like I just, I, I had stuff that was not ergonomic. I had things, I had benches in spots where it's like, well, I don't need a bench here. I just put a bench here because I had a bench and I put, this is the first place I put it up and I built everything around it. So instead of just kind of like building off, um, what would you call it? Convenience. I was more building off a plan or building off a reason. So I was like, Hey, why don't we put the heat tunnel down the back of the room so that when it comes to any troubles that we have mitigating the temperature in here, we can open up the back door, we can turn a fan on and that pushes all that heat straight out of the door. So instead of creating like a hot pocket of the room, it actually creates more uh, consistent temperature throughout because we can just make that a tunnel of air that's just passing out, whether it's hot or cold. So just these little things and don't forget, I have nobody helping me doing this. I'm not saying, and I'm not saying that like, oh, poor me, I don't have anyone helping me. I'm just saying like, hey man, like no matter how long it takes, I'll figure out every problem. I promise you. And the cool thing is you can too. That's really important because there's definitely a time in my life not that long ago that I had nowhere near the faith and the confidence that I have now because I purely believed I just wasn't one of those people. I just wasn't not that I wasn't destined or born to be successful. I think there's definitely been a subconscious thing in the back of my mind that if it's possible, I definitely want it. And because I want it, it's definitely going to happen, you know? So it's not that, but I just, I definitely have had some sort of like, I almost feel hand, invisibly handcuffed. I think that's an accurate thing to say. You feel invisibly handcuffed. You're like, I've got all the good ideas and I have all the execution, but I'm just super scared that like the amount of work that it really takes or maybe the judgment that's going to be passed to me by people that I appreciate and respect and whatever you want. But it's just like, the reality is like now I'm not scared of problems. 
I'm not even scared of big books any, anymore. I used to be scared of big books because it's like, oh, it's going to take so long to read this. I'm not even sure I have that much like fucking life left in me. Dude, fuck it. Just keep doing it. Just keep grinding every day. Keep making decisions. Be 1% better. Not every day. Be 1% better every fucking minute. Every minute. And dude, it's that simple. I'm cleaning up the sticks in the yard over here. I'm not going to worry about the whole acre. I'm going to worry about this tree. Okay? Just this tree. I'll pick up the twigs when I'm done under this tree before I'll pick up the sticks over there just so I know that this is done properly. You know? And like right now, in all honesty, I've got another piece of equipment on the way and I still... Like this printer is just sitting in the middle of nowhere. This new vinyl cutter and printer. It's fucking huge, by the way. Okay? This is a thing. Like I saw some pictures. I looked it up online. I was like, oh yeah, cool. You know, it's a nice little printer. And you're like, oh, it prints 700 wide. So it's probably like a meter long. Bro, it's as tall as me. Okay? I'm 190 centimeters. This thing's 172 centimeters fucking tall. Bro, that's fucking this big if I stood it up. A printer. It's a printer, dude. It's literally so big, I can't even pull it behind the fucking camera right now because it won't fit in the doorway. You know what I mean? Like, this printer is huge, dude. Standing here, it's about that tall, right? So it's that tall. It's like this wide. Man, it's fucking huge. And I still don't have room for it. You know what I mean? But, and this is the thing, people coming in like, oh, you got to get more space and rah, rah, rah. It's like, nah, you just, you're not thinking about it. You're not thinking about it, you know? Because don't, don't come in here and try and solve my problem when I'm thinking about the problem every waking minute of the day. You know what I mean? Don't come in here and go, oh, you might have to get a bigger space. Hey, shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? Shut the fuck up, okay? Because I'm going to solve this problem. And see, that confidence right there it doesn't come from me like faking it till I make it or trying to like muster up this thing of like, oh, that's who I am. That's who my character is. No, motherfucker. That's just me. Like I've just kept on doing the shit and now I'm getting so many consecutive results that I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to say I'm going to fucking do it. And even if I don't, I don't really care about your opinion, you know? And it's not that I don't care because you're going to say, oh, you've right. I don't care because it doesn't help me achieve the thing if I'm still trying to achieve it or achieve the next thing if I've moved on, you know? And you my friend, have the permission to be excellent just the same. How fun is that? How fun is that? I tell you what, I went out on Friday night. I got myself a... Uh, I got myself a few pints from Last Slice of... I think it was Swanee D's. And uh, it was fun. I had fun. And then we went to the VAT. And hey, dude. Hey, hey, dude. You've held on long enough for me to badmouth a fucking name in town, okay? And here we go. The VAT was a fucking joke, okay? And hey, anyone from the VAT, if you're watching this, what happened, okay? Because we went there and like we had a group of, let me think, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, you know, probably, probably between eight and 10 adults and like then probably six or seven kids. And dude, what the fuck? What the fuck? Like, I... So, okay, what happened was the drinks were taking hell long to come out. So someone would go up and order like, hey, can I get fucking, you know, six... Uh, what are they? Well, there was a group of four of us boys drinking and three of us were drinking fucking Carlton Dry and one of us was drinking IPA. Now, I don't know which one of the fucking losers was drinking IPA because, hey, who drinks IPA? Or, hey, who drinks beer in general, let alone IPA, right? So... Someone was coming back to the table. It'd be four drinks at a time, the three normal ones, and then the fucking IPA, which looks like someone's cloudy piss to begin with. All good. Hey, all beer looks like piss, but who wants to drink cloudy piss, right? So 
they'd come to the table and whoever it was drinking IPA got to a point where they didn't want to drink IPA anymore. Now, your boy doesn't drink, okay? So if I've had three pints of something, for the love of fucking God, please don't change it because I don't drink, okay? And if you want to play that game, let's get you 12 cigarettes deep and then give you a full joint and see how you handle it, okay? See how you handle it because you're not gonna, okay? And you know what I didn't on the weekend? I didn't gonna handle it because it spewed everywhere. So what happened was, I ended up with someone's IPA, I had a mouthful and a half of it, and then literally like, straight away, I'm like, oh, I feel bad. And then, you get like 20 minutes later, and people are starting to talk about food, and you're like, oh no, my lips and asshole just got wet from a weird feeling, you know? So then, I'm like, hey guys, I don't feel very good. And then dad, straight away, because the whole thing, like I went out with dad, the, the, the idea was that dad and I were going to kick on. You know, we've got this crazy brother-in-law. He can't fucking help himself. He, just, he goes hard on the piss. So then what dad does is he follows him and then I follow dad. You know what I mean? Because as I say, I don't drink. This is a fucking difficult game for me. Dude, this is playing Monopoly in the dark for me. I'm still going to beat you at it, but I'm going to struggle the entire time. Okay? So I fucking... I'm there with dad, I'm putting on my best effort, and then he sees me, he sees in my eyes, he sees I'm in trouble, you know, he sees me sitting there, I was wearing this shirt, so obviously steezed out as all fuck, and he's like, my boy's in trouble. So I look at him, I'm like, yeah, you know how you make that like public statement to one person, but everyone around you're like, I don't feel good, you know, like, I'm feeling like I'm gonna spew, you know? So then they get one of the, like one of the kids, uh, I'm not gonna say names, he just got his license, so he's like, yeah, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll run you home. So I was like, sweet man, how's this little motherfucker, you know? And by that point, they're bringing out Jackson Coke and I had like a sip of that. And of course, if you're feeling really shit off a, you know, half a mouth, a mouthful and half of IPA, Jack Daniels uh, may as well be the devil's dick, okay? It was terrible. It was drinking gasoline, lit on fire, right? So push that off to one side. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to smell it. I don't really want to be around it, that sort of thing. But don't forget at this stage, we've also all ordered food, okay? And this is the thing, like, uh, everybody at that table, like, you know, doesn't not get the fucking $50 steak. And when you're at the VAT, why would you get the fucking salad when you could get the, the ribeye or the T-bone or the pork belly or the pulled, you know what I mean? All these beautiful things, it all costs like $40, $50 each. So you're like, all right, you know, and I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fucking hold out until the food gets here and then I'm going to bail. So at least that way you make the most of getting a nice $40 fucking pork belly, rah, rah, rah. But as soon as Riley's like, because this is the thing, I said I feel sick. I made my PSA about feeling nauseous in an attempt to like, because this is the thing, you got to educate them. You got to educate them 10 minutes before you want to go. Or if you're playing the long game, you're like, hey, I start to feel sick. And you're like, I'm going to be home from the moment I say I feel sick. I'm going to be open. I'm going to be home in an hour. Then you got to fucking plan it out right. But see, dad, like I said, he saw the fucking, he saw the sadness in my eyes. And he's like, oh, we'll figure out, you know, we'll get you a ride. Homeboy says, hey, I'll give you a lift. So I go promptly to the kitchen after half an hour of waiting for my food. And I'm like, hey, bud, you've got a pork belly coming out to that table. Forget about it. It's taken too long. You know what I mean? This is bullshit. Why do you serve IPA? So then walk back out to the table. Kid's got his keys in his hand. He's like, let's fucking go. We go out to the car. He's got a PK Ranger. So of course I spend the next 10 minutes talking to this kind of about his three liter turbo diesel PK Ranger because it's not as beautiful, but it's very similar to my car. So anyway, we get home and this is the thing, you know how like you're talking to someone and the whole time you're like, man, if I stop talking, I'm going to spew, you know, like unless you have a cigarette or unless I keep talking, 
I'm going to spew, okay? So I just kept talking. I'm like, bro, you fucking... Dude, can, can you believe the EGR plates in this thing? You know, it's fucking... Why, you put a lift kit in it? How'd you do that? What tires are you running? That's crazy, you know? Like, And then I get home. And of course, Riz, beautiful Riz. She's like, oh, you've only been out for a couple hours. What's going on? And I fucking sit down on the bed and I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't feel good. I don't feel good, you know? And she's like, that's okay. You know, we'll get you some water and some Panadol. I'm like, yeah, but I, I, don't, I don't feel good. You know, and she's like, go have a spew. Now, look, hey, man, I'd go spew now. If I had the smallest inkling of needing to spew, I'd rather just go spew and get the spew out of the way than fucking be sitting there going like, oh, man, I might spew. I might spew like just fucking go spew. You know what I mean? It's not even that bad of a feeling when you get into it. You just got to be in the mood to do it. And I feel like the mood is being human, you know. So I was like, oh, God, I think I could spew. I'm not in the mood for a spew, but, you know, I'm just going to sit here for a bit and see what happens. And she's eating wedges and chicken nuggets. Like, you know what I mean? 364 days of the year, you're in the mood to eat the food that she's eating. And then you rock up pissed and you would think that'd be the food that you want, man. That was making me even greener. So you know what I did? I do what I never do. I just fucking sat in on the couch and just went to sleep with my eyes closed sitting like this, you know? Never do it. I hate it. Because eventually, you know what the problem is with that? Is when you go to sleep on the uh, sitting up on the couch, you're all good. But the problem is you wake up like two hours and 15 minutes later and you've had your head like this. And then you've got a pain down the side of your neck for the next three days. It's putting you in a bad mood subconsciously. You don't even know the fuck's going on. You didn't even remember having the nap. And now you've got this fucking ailment that seems to never going to leave you your entire life dude i can feel it coming on just by thinking about it you know what i mean so i sit there and i'm like you know i feel myself going in and out of sleep and of course you got 90 day fiance on the tv which is also making you i mean dude when i'm sober i feel nauseous watching that shit it's like how do people make such terrible fucking decisions in their life over and over and over and do it on camera you know what i mean like hey man She's fucking you for a green ticket. Like, what the fuck else do you need to know? Enough about 90 Day Fiance. So I'm sitting there and then all of a sudden, I was asleep and then I wasn't. And then I had a realization that I'm going to spew. And then Riz is like, oh, you okay? And I'm just like, dude, I literally could have stepped on her while I was trying to run. Because I was like, oh, it doesn't matter. I need to spew. You know what I mean? And just like, by it doesn't matter, it means like it doesn't matter as long as I get outside to so get out of the fucking way sort of thing. And man, I had the like, you know, when you open the door and you go like step, step, spew, step, step, spew. That was me. Like a fucking dude. It's like I got sucker punched by projectile vomit. It was fucking crazy. Like I spew hard and dude, don't get me wrong. I love to spew hard. That's how you meant to spew. This was fucking stupid, man. I spewed so hard. I'm not, I'm not even going to say it. I was going to bring prolapse into the situation, but I'm not going to fucking go that far, you know, because i got respect for you guys. Who the fuck I am, right? I have respect for you. But waited too long for food. They serve IPA. And in all honesty, like, it's just, it was like the, the waiting too long for the drinks and the fucking, the, the apology, and like, not even the apologies, you know, like, Dude, I don't care if you say the same thing to people every night, like, oh, it's never like this. We got caught out, rah, rah, rah. But don't just be like, yeah, it takes ages to deliver drinks. It's like, well, no, it doesn't, sweetheart. Go do your job better, you know? All good. And if it's coming from management, then go work at a better place because everybody needs staff right now, you know? So what's up? Anyway, 
I don't really care about the solution to their problem. I'm just saying it's an experience that I had. And it was kind of fun that I got to spew on the weekend, you know? And then as it turns out, coincidentally, Riz goes out the next night and has a fucking banger night. I was home by like 9.30, spewed up by 10. And then Riz, on the morning that I need to wake up, drive to Perth, go fucking pick up this industrial size commercial vinyl cutter and printer she decides to stay out stay out until fucking three o'clock in the morning so as it turns out because you know when your partner's out you're laying in bed and you're like where is she you know and not that I, yeah and this dude okay major thing to say here and like i'm only saying this because i come from a place of extremely not being this person i don't lay awake when she's in town jealous i lay awake when she's in town worried for her safety because I don't trust motherfuckers on drugs and alcohol in a public setting at the night, okay? That's as simple as it is. I used to be the most jealous motherfucker, like, I bet you she's getting fingered by some other dude right now, and I bet you he's better looking than me, and I bet you he's got a hog on him. But the reality is, even if that is happening, you're probably the one who deserved it. So you're probably the one who, like, made it happen or, like, put, whatever it is, you know, and even if you're not the one and you can't take responsibility for it, just fucking who cares, you know? So jealousy really is like, dude, it's not like I decide not to be jealous. It's just like, I'm at a point now where I'm like, okay, genuinely, if having sex with this person brings you more happiness than being with me, I want you to do that. You know what I mean? Like if it means that it's fucking, there's a whole other fucking podcast actually just there, I realized, but also like, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's not a laying awake in jealousy. It's like like a laying awake in like... And also, I was buying this fucking vinyl cutter and printer. This all happened yesterday, by the way. Sunday, this all happened in the morning. I was buying it. And the thing is like, to begin with, buying the vinyl, uh, vinyl cutter and printer is such a like, do I do it? I don't need it for my business. The main strength that it adds is obviously doing these screens, uh, the, the negatives for my screens. But in reality, what I'm actually getting this for is so I can make heaps of stickers. Whether it's for my business, other businesses, whether it's like giveaways or things I can give for free, or whether it's I make sticker packs and I sell them or I make car stickers. That's what I'm really interested in. And I know this has so much potential as a printer that it really doesn't, like that's just day one that I'm excited for. I know that day two, day three, year five is just going to have such countless potential and possibilities for this thing. So I was kind of already like, oh, such a big purchase, but do I do it? You know, I don't need it. It's a lot of money, you know, but, and then on top of that, the dude told me that we need to put it in a trailer to transport it. And like with me and my dad both being in transport for like a combination of like 150 years with me being two of them, I fucking know that having a top heavy printer that's that size that weighs 100 kilos in a trailer is going to be vibrated the fuck out of by the time it comes to Bunbury. (coughs) More importantly, I've got a fucking ute with a tray in it. Like why wouldn't you be able to just break it down and put the tray right? So I called it. Again, phone calls backwards and forwards to 20 different people throughout the week. And I realized like, right, if we break this machine down to its like smallest possible position, we can fit it in the back of the ute and we can get it home. But obviously, you know, you still have to like, the whole interaction of picking it up is still going there, meeting the guy, learning how to use a machine, learning how to use the software, downloading the software onto a computer that I had to find the day before because apparently the software that you use doesn't work on a Mac. It only works on a PC. So I had to find, and I only found that out like Saturday at two o'clock in the afternoon. So I had to go find a fucking PC laptop, get it all ready, uninstall everything, bring it to this dude. Hopefully it still works by the time he gets there because you know, PCs are fucking stupid. And then get all that downloaded and then actually load the thing into the car and hopefully that plan works because if I can't load it into the car, I didn't bring a trailer to follow through with the plan that the guy who's selling it made. So little bit of pressure there, all good. So I'm already sleeping one eye open because Riz is out on the town. She might need me to pick her up or pick her and her friends up or 
anything. I'm also going to do this thing tomorrow that I'm really just like going to buy something I have no idea about and try and implement it into my business in, a, in an effective and financial and successful way. So that's a whole thing of its own. And then on top of that, Riz decides to get a ride home half an hour before my fucking alarm goes off. So I was like, okay, jump in the car, drive into town, pick her and her friend up, drop her friend off. Cause I can't leave her friend in town respectfully. And she's cool. Like I, it's not that I wouldn't leave her in town. She's my friend as well. But at the same time, like you can't leave her in town at three o'clock in the morning. So I drop her off, come home, get ready. Dad comes around here. We leave here. At 5.30 in the morning yesterday on Sunday, we drive to Perth. We're at the bloke's house for like three hours. We turn around. We fucking go and get some coffee. The bloke calls. He's like, you left some shit behind. So we go back to his place, grab it, bring it home. And then the whole task of like trying to get the fucking printer out of the car again and set up in here and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, dude, you, you fucking get it. I'm busy. I'm doing things. Black ink's on the move. Okay, be good to your mom because I'm fucking out. Yeah!